Section 15 of Faraday as a Discoverer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Faraday as a Discoverer by John Tyndall. Unity and Convertibility of Natural Forces. Theory of the Electric Current. The terms unity and convertibility, as applied to natural forces, are often employed in these investigations, many profound and beautiful thoughts respecting these subjects being expressed in Faraday's memoirs. Modern inquiry has, however, much augmented our knowledge of the relationship of natural forces, and it seems worthwhile to say a few words here, tending to clear up certain misconceptions which appear to exist among philosophic writers regarding this relationship. The whole stock of energy or working power in the world consists of attractions, repulsions, and motions. If the attractions and repulsions are so circumstanced as to be able to produce motion, they are sources of working power, but not otherwise. Let us, for the sake of simplicity, confine our attention to the case of attraction. The attraction exerted between the earth and body at a distance from the earth's surface is a source of working power because the body can be moved by the attraction and in falling to the earth can perform work when it rests upon the earth's surface is it not a source of power or energy because it can fall no further but though it has ceased to be a source of energy the attraction of gravity still acts as a force which holds the earth and weight together the same remarks apply to attracting atoms and molecules. As long as distance separates them, they can move across it in obedience to the attraction, and the motion thus produced may, by proper appliances, be caused to perform mechanical work. When, for example, two atoms of hydrogen unite with one of oxygen to form water, the atoms are first drawn towards each other, they move, they clash, and then by virtue of their resiliency, they recoil and quiver. To this quivering motion we give the name of heat. Now this quivering motion is merely the redistribution of the motion produced by the chemical affinity, and this is the only sense in which chemical affinity can be said to be converted into heat. We must not imagine the chemical attraction destroyed or converted into anything else. For the atoms, when mutually clasped, to form a molecule of water, are held together by the very attraction which first drew them towards each other. That which has really been expended is the pull exerted through the space by which the distance between the atoms has been diminished. If this be understood, it will be at once seen that gravity may in this sense be said to be convertible into heat, that is, in reality, no more an outstanding and incontrovertible agent as it is sometimes stated to be than chemical affinity by the exertion of a certain pull through a certain space a body is caused to clash with a certain definite velocity against the earth heat is thereby developed and this is the only sense in which gravity can be said to be converted into heat in no case is the force which produces the motion annihilated or changed into anything else 
the mutual attraction of the earth and weight exists when they are in contact as when they were separate but the ability of that attraction to employ itself in the production of motion does not exist the transformation in this case is easily followed by the mind's eye first the weight as a whole is set in motion by the attraction of gravity this motion of the mass is arrested by collision with the earth being broken up into molecular tremors to which we give the name of heat and when we reverse the process and employ those tremors of heat to raise a weight as is done through the intermediation of an elastic fluid in the steam engine a certain definite portion of the molecular motion is destroyed in raising the weight in this sense and this sense only can the heat be said to be converted into gravity or more correctly into potential energy of gravity it is not that the destruction of the heat has created any new attraction but simply that the old attraction has now a power conferred upon it of exerting of certain definite pull in the interval between the starting point of the falling weight and its collision with the earth so also as regards magnetic attraction when a sphere of iron placed at some distance from a magnet rushes towards the magnet and has its motion stopped by collision an effect mechanically the same as that produced by the attraction of gravity occurs the magnetic attraction generates the motion of the mass and the stoppage of that motion produces heat in this sense and in this sense only is there a transformation of magnetic work into heat and if by the mechanical action of heat brought to bear by means of a suitable machine the sphere to be torn from the magnet and again placed at a distance a power of exerting a pull through that distance and producing a new motion of the sphere is thereby conferred upon the magnet in this sense and in this sense only is the heat converted into magnetic potential energy when therefore writers on the conservation of energy speak of tensions being consumed and generated they do not mean thereby that old attractions have been annihilated and new ones brought into existence but that in the one case the power of the attraction to produce motion has been diminished by the shortening of the distance between the attracting bodies and that in the other case the power of producing motion has been augmented by the increase of the distance these remarks apply to all bodies whether they be sensible masses or molecules of the inner quality that enables matter to attract matter we know nothing and the law of conservation makes no statement regarding that quality it takes the facts of attraction as they stand and affirms only the constancy of working power that power may exist in the form of motion or it may exist in the form of force with distance to act through the former is dynamic energy the latter is potential energy the constancy of the sum of both being affirmed by the law of conservation the convertibility of natural forces consists solely in transformations of dynamic into potential and of potential 
into dynamic energy, which are incessantly going on. In no other sense has the convertibility of force, at present, any scientific meaning. By the contraction of a muscle, a man lifts a weight from the earth, but the muscle can contract only through the oxidation of its own tissue or of the blood passing through it. Molecular motion is thus converted into mechanical motion. Supposing the muscle to contract without raising the weight, oxidation would also occur, but the whole of the heat produced by this oxidation would be liberated in the muscle itself. Not so when it performs external work. To do that work, a certain definite portion of the heat of oxidation must be expended. It is so expended in pulling the weight away from the earth. If the weight be permitted to fall, the heat generated by its collision with the earth would exactly make up for that lacking in the muscle during the lifting of the weight. In the case here supposed, we have a conversion of molecular muscular action into potential energy of gravity, and a conversion of that potential energy into heat. The heat, however, appearing at a distance from its real origin in the muscle. The whole process consists of a transference of molecular motion from the muscle to the weight, and gravitating force is the mere go-between by means of which the transference is effected. These considerations will help to clear our way to the conception of the transformations which occur when a wire is moved across the lines of force in a magnetic field. In this case, it is commonly said, we have a conversion of magnetism into electricity. But let us endeavor to understand what really occurs. For the sake of simplicity, and with a view to its translation into a different one subsequently, let us adopt for a moment the provisional conception of a mixed fluid in the wire, composed of positive and negative electricities in equal quantities, and therefore perfectly neutralizing each other when the wire is still. By the motion of the wire, say with the hand, towards the magnet, what the Germans call a Scheidungskraft, a separating force, is brought into play. This force tears the mixed fluids asunder and drives them in two currents, the one positive and the other negative, in two opposite directions through the wire. The presence of these currents evokes a force of repulsion between the magnet and the wire, and to cause the one to approach the other. This repulsion must be overcome. The overcoming of this repulsion is, in fact, the work done in separating and impelling the two electricities. When the wire is moved away from the magnet, a Scheidungskraft or separating force also comes into play, but now it is an attraction that has to be surmounted. In surmounting it, currents are developed in directions opposed to the former. Positive takes the place of negative, and negative takes the place of positive, the overcoming of the attraction being the work done in separating and impelling the two electricities. The mechanical action occurring here is different from that occurring where a sphere of soft iron is withdrawn from a magnet and again attracted. In this case, muscular force is expended during the act of separation, but the attraction of the magnet effects the reunion. In the case of the moving wire, 
also we overcome a resistance in separating it from the magnet and thus far the action is mechanically the same as the separation of the sphere of iron but after the wire has ceased moving the attraction ceases and so far from any action occurring similar to that which draws the iron sphere back to the magnet we have to overcome a repulsion to bring them together there is no potential energy conferred either by the removal or by the approach of the wire and the only power really transformed or converted in the experiment is muscular power nothing that could in strictness be called a conversion of magnetism into electricity occurs the muscular oxidation that moves the wire fails to produce within the muscle its due amount of heat a portion of that heat equivalent to the resistance overcome appearing in the moving wire instead is this effect an attraction and a repulsion at a distance if so why should both cease when the wire ceases to move in fact the deportment of the wire resembles far more that of a body moving in a resisting medium than anything else the resistance ceasing when the motion is suspended let us imagine the case of a liquid so mobile that the hand may be passed through it to and fro without encountering any sensible resistance it resembles the motion of a conductor in the unexcited field of an electromagnet now let us suppose a body placed in the liquid or acting on it which confers upon it the property of viscosity the hand would no longer move freely during its motion but then only resistance would be encountered and overcome here we have rudely represented the case of an excited magnetic field and the result in both cases would be substantially the same in both cases heat would in the end be generated outside of the muscle its amount being exactly equivalent to the resistance overcome let us push the analogy a little further suppose in the case of a fluid rendered viscous as assumed a moment ago the viscosity not to be so great as to prevent the formation of ripples when the hand is passed through the liquid then the motion of the hand before its final conversion into heat would exist for a time as wave motion which on subsiding would generate its due equivalent of heat this intermediate stage in the case of our moving wire is represented by the period during which the electric current is flowing through it but that current like the ripples of our liquid soon subsides being like them converted into heat do these words shadow forth anything like the reality such speculations cannot be injurious if they are enunciated without dogmatism i do confess that ideas such as these here indicated exercise a strong fascination on my mind is then magnetic field really viscous and if so what substance exists in it and the wire to produce the viscosity let us first look at the proved effects and afterwards turn our thoughts back upon their cause when the wire approaches the magnet an action is evoked within it which travels through it with a velocity comparable to that of light one substance only in the universe has been hitherto proved competent to transmit power at this velocity the luminiferous ether 
not only its rapidity of progression but its ability to produce the motion of light and heat indicates that the electric current is also motion footnote mr clerk maxwell has recently published an exceedingly important investigation connected with this question even in the non-mathematical portions of the memoirs of mr maxwell the admirable spirit of his philosophy is sufficiently revealed as regards the employment of scientific imagery i hardly know his equal in power of conception and clearness of definition End of footnote. further there is a striking resemblance between the action of good and bad conductors as regards electricity and the action of diatherminous and adiatherminous bodies as regards radiant heat the good conductor is diatherminous to the electric current it allows free transmission without the development of heat the bad conductor is adiatherminous to the electric current and hence the passage of the latter is accompanied by the development of heat i am strongly inclined to hold the electric current pure and simple to be a motion of the ether alone good conductors being so constituted that the motion may be propagated through their ether without sensible transfer to their atoms while in the case of bad conductors this transfer is effected the transferred motion appearing as heat footnote one important difference of course exists between the effect of the motion in the magnetic field and the motion in a resisting medium in the former case the heat is generated in the moving conductor in the latter it is in part generated in the medium End of footnote i do not know whether faraday would have subscribed to what is here written probably his habitual caution would have prevented him from committing himself to anything so definite but some such idea filled his mind and colored his language through all the later years of his life i dare not say that he has been always successful in the treatment of these theoretic notions in his speculations he mixes together light and darkness in varying proportions and carries us along with him through strong alternations of both it is impossible to say how a certain amount of mathematical training would have affected his work we cannot say what its influence would have been upon that force of inspiration that urged him on whether it would have daunted him and prevented him from driving his adits into places where no theory pointed to a load if so then we may rejoice that this strong delver at the mine of natural knowledge was left free to wield his mattock in his own way it must be admitted that faraday's purely speculative writings often lack that precision which the mathematical habit of thought confers still across them flash frequent gleams of prescient wisdom which will excite admiration throughout all time while the facts relations principles and laws which his experiments have established are sure to form the body of grand theories yet to come end of section fifteen